this is really just buying this uh, Lions on a bounce back. I know their defense has been really bad lately, um, but I don't foresee the Saints offense as being the one to take advantage of them. They have really struggled, I think, in recent weeks. Michael Thomas is on IR. Rashid Shahid has been a uh, DNP the past two days. Olave is still in the concussion protocol, so he may or may not clear. But even if he does clear, it's most likely just going to be him in that receiving room. And the Lions like to run a lot of man. And one of the things that at PFF, we kind of studied that, like, uh, you know, good receivers will beat man coverage. But if you're a bad receiver, it's most likely that you're not going to be able to separate. You're not going to be able to get open. And I think that those are the times where Derek Carr struggles a lot. The Lions run defense, you know, kind of above average. Pete Carmichael loves to run the ball with with Alvin Kamara and Jamal Williams. And then on the flip side, you know, Lions also coming off t uh, nine or 10 days rest versus the Saints, who are pretty banged up. Also, Cameron Jordan hasn't practiced yet. Marcus May hasn't practiced yet. You know, those are two key starters for them. I think Ben Johnson will be able to take advantage of them. The Falcons ran all over them last week. I think Bijan had 90, uh, Algier had 60, and we know Ben Johnson loves his first and 10 runs. So I think Montgomery and, and Jermier Gibbs will be able to take advantage of a pretty weak, I think, Saints front four. And I think the biggest worry for me, you know, Frank Ragnow, he was downgraded from a full to a DNP today. But from what I was reading, it sounds like it's going to be more of a, it was more of a rest day for him and he should be back. And even then the Saints are kind of like below average in terms of pressure rate this year. So I don't think Goff is going to be under siege as much as he was in the Green Bay game, which means, you know, just watching that game, when Goff threw the ball, he looked fine. And when he didn't throw the ball and he held onto it, those, those are when the fumbles happened. And I don't think those, uh, I don't think the Saints have the D line to wreak havoc on the Lions like they did. So I really like the Lions in the spot, even, even if they are on the road, it's still in a dome. And that's where Goff has thrived in the past. I hear you on that case for the Lions. And you kind of touched on the one potential fly in the ointment that I would identify having had some exposure on Detroit the last two weeks in some way, shape or form. It's been a painful reminder that Jared Goff is prone to some untimely mistakes. How much do you shock that up is matchups like you mentioned Green Bay putting him under duress early and often on Thanksgiving. Also the Bears game the week before that Chicago's defense, not the worst in the league by a long shot, but also not necessarily something to write home about. So backing Goff to win by margin in this setting. How much does that give you any hesitation or for matchup reasons you mentioned, is it still just a pretty clear green light? I think it's still a green light for two reasons. Uh, one, the, the coverage that Goff has struggled the most against, even like leading into the Bears game was cover two. Matt Eberflus is a heavy cover two guy. That's why they signed those two linebackers because they want, you know, Edwards or Edmonds to play that middle of the field type, you know, uh, zone coverage and so going into that game that was the coverage he struggled against the most and you know so i'm not too surprised he struggled against the bears and then against the packers i don't again i don't necessarily think it was the coverage that tripped him up i just think the pass rush got home way too often and you know taylor decker didn't have a good game against rashawn gary the interior really struggled i think their guards gave up 18 pressures combined against the packers and i just don't foresee that happening against the saints who really don't have any interior defense alignment that you know can rush the passer um, and the Saints are kind of a man-heavy team, and they don't have Marshawn Lattimore. And so I think Ben Johnson, again, one of the best play callers and, and schemers uh, in the NFL, I think beating man coverage will be something he's done in the past, and I think he'll continue to do this week, especially without Marshawn Lattimore in the secondary. All right, so Detroit minus four at New Orleans. The look for Argent on the NFL Week 13 slate. And on my end, I will be transparent. The only game I've bet thus far is the Browns plus three and a half at the Rams. But something that I have not hidden on this show so far this season, I am just knocking it out of the park when it comes to picking losers. Three and nine on side so far this season. And the Browns are also 
Hitman's best bet on the Forward Progress show this week. Hitman, a good friend of this show as well, of course. And comically, Hitman betting sides on that Forward Progress show. Only one winner so far this season. So I feel like between my record and his, for the two of us to align, take that with a grain of salt. And, and you know what to do when it comes to possibly looking the other way. I feel like with that kind of track record thus far this season, maybe it's a good time to relegate myself from the professional ranks. And Arjun, having you on, I'm going to look at a college game and a potential upcoming opponent for Michigan in the playoff. I'm looking at a split ticket for my bet here, a couple ways to get exposure on the Oregon Ducks. First off in the Pac-12 title game, the line has ticked up to minus 10, so that definitely carries some consequence relative to the line being in single digits earlier this week. But looking at Oregon minus 10 against Washington. And because the line is now at 10 and there's not quite as much value, splitting that ticket and getting some exposure on Bo Nix, minus 150 to win the Heisman. Looking at the Pac-12 title game itself, Oregon minus 10. This is a game that Ed Fang of the Power Rank and Brad Powers on the Bet the Board podcast identified as seeing value on Oregon when it was minus nine and a half. So I think, again, that's a key distinction. Laying less than 10 is not the same as laying the full 10. But I also think that there is something to be said for missing the best of the number, not necessarily meaning that you've missed a bettable number. I think some bankroll management comes into play. It would be a smaller bet for me at minus 10 than at minus nine and a half, but a bet nonetheless. And from a simplistic point of view, I could hear somebody's argument being counter to this saying, hey, we've got a 12 and 0 team that's a double digit underdog now against a team that's already beaten this year. You've got to play Washington in this spot. And if it's really that simple, then I'm going to be wrong here. I, I totally hear that side of it. But I think there's some bigger context in play. Looking at that first matchup this season, I think Oregon outplayed Washington head-to-head -head in Seattle. I know that Washington won that game in mid-October. But if we look at two key moments, the last play of the first half, Oregon had a failed fourth and goal from the three. And then the last play of the game, Oregon missed a 43-yard field goal. That's a 10-point swing in a game the Ducks lost by three. And not only making the case for Oregon having outplayed Washington head-to-head -head in that first matchup, but really ever since then, I think Oregon has really been the better team. The Ducks have been dominant. Only one win in that span has come by less than two touchdowns. That was a nine-point win over my alma mater, the USC Trojans, and Oregon was in full control of that game from start to finish. USC tacked on a cosmetic touchdown on its final drive. Oregon knelt down deep in USC territory to run out the clock. On the flip side, the Huskies have been skating by since they beat the Ducks. They haven't won a single game by two touchdowns since then, and it's not because of strength of schedule. They've been consistently favored in the range of 17 to 28 points and beyond some narrow wins, hearing some whispers now that are growing to be quite a bit loud for just calling them whispers. Michael Penix, quite possibly nowhere near 100%, and that doesn't bode well for Washington on a short week with this game being played on a Friday night. The Huskies, since defeating the Ducks, four wins by one score. I will say, I think that record in one score game remains unblemished because the Ducks should win this one by double digits. But as I said earlier, the line now being at 10 does reduce some value. So I also like getting some exposure on Bonix to win the Heisman at minus 150. Hat tip to Payne on the Bet the Board podcast for throwing out this angle. I know anything's possible, but I think it's most likely that if Oregon wins against the Huskies to take the Pac-12 title and clinch its playoff spot, the Heisman is also going to be all but locked up for Bo Nix. So Arjun, I'm going to pause and give you the mic back. Any thoughts on Oregon minus 10 versus Washington as a possible Michigan opponent in the playoff, as well as any thought on Bo Nix minus 150 to win the Heisman? Yeah, I think like as a Michigan fan, I'd, I'd much rather face Washington. So um, I, I think like 
you know, both quarterbacks are good. I, I would say Bo Nix is probably a little bit better. And I, I think like Michigan, uh, Michigan's offense isn't as great and as like, you know, maybe in years past. So, or like, I think, I think their offense has, has not been as good as people would have, would have hoped, even, even if JJ's played uh, pretty well this year. And I think Washington's defense is much worse than Oregon's, which is probably, you know, which is probably why the line is like 10 and a half. Um, so yeah, I like splitting it on the Heisman as well as the game. I think like, if uh, there could be a chance that Oregon doesn't cover, but Oregon still wins, and that would probably put Bo Nix in the front runner front runner seat for the Heisman. So I, I really like that bet. Um, I will say I'm not like as knowledgeable on college as maybe you know other people are, so I'm not out here giving college picks, uh, unfortunately. But um, I, I really like the process there, and I, I do think that's a smart bet on both sides for splitting the ticket. All right. Well, college is a rare detour for me as well. I think that's the first time going into anywhere near that level of detail this season on this show. I'll just throw out that if you're listening to this in podcast form via the Just the Picks cutdown episode released on Saturday morning, you will know that you've either dodged a bullet or maybe you'll feel incentivized to catch full episodes earlier in the week. But Arjun, let's shift gears back to the NFL and talk some teasers for week 13. I'm seeing only two fits for that classic model crossing through three and seven as things stand right now. The Jets can be teased up to plus eight hosting Atlanta. And then Jacksonville can be teased down to minus two and a half hosting Cincinnati. So maybe the equation has solved itself for us, or <laughs> yeah. maybe there's something outside the box and you're feeling a little creative. Any thoughts on a teaser bet for this NFL week 13 slate? Yeah, I'm not going to get too creative with it. Just going to go with the standard Wong. Both totals are under 39 as well. So it's like low total. That's when you, you know, I think you want to have a, you want to have a teaser because it's less variance. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel great teasing the Jets, especially with how anemic their offense has been. But I think their defense should be able to slow down the Falcons and it should be a pretty low scoring game. So I think I think it should be able to keep it close. Um, and yeah, I mean, Jacksonville, like this is really just like how serious are you about winning in the AFC? So they should be able to take care of business at home against a pretty uh, banged up Bengals team. So, yeah, I think Bengals or Jacks, Jacksonville down to two and a half and then Jets out to eight. Probably the best or the only teaser we can do. <laughs> It's the best one because it's the only one. I'm not going <laughs> to belabor the point too much. Usually I, I go through a process of elimination when we have a lot of potential fits, but that doesn't really apply this week. I will note that while I can endorse the bet for reasons that you touched on, uh, as full disclosure, this is going to be a small wager for me because most of my Jacksonville exposure came earlier in the week tied to Dallas minus two and a half, which I might have to sweat now is they kick off <laughs> things in the third quarter against Seattle trailing to the Seahawks at home. And I also have the Jags tied to Tennessee plus seven and a half before that line ticked down to Indy as a one point favorite in the Titans Colts matchup. So feels good to have gotten ahead of some live movement earlier in the week. That, of course, does not guarantee anything. Um, so if, if people are just looking at the board as it sounds right now, the Jets and the Jags in a teaser, I totally get it. The Jets, I do have some trepidation with the variance with Tim Boyle being under center. I heard you on low totals, generally implying less variance. And I've actually been rethinking that in recent weeks. I had a really good back and forth with Sharp Clark on a recent episode. Mm -hmm. And he didn't feel adamant that that wasn't true, but he just wasn't so sold on it. And, and I've just accepted it because I've heard for years, lower totals means less points. That magnifies the relative value of each point you get in a teaser. And there's some data that suggests it could cut either way. Overall, I think I've just settled in on not making totals too big of a factor in the teaser handicapping process and with some variance under center for the Jets. Definitely not feeling great about it, but I would say, again, for a reduced amount, Jets, Jags, I think you could do much worse. One more yeah. note here. For a better bet as far as teasers go involving Week 13, I think we could look at the Jags to end Week 13 on Monday night 
and pair them with a week 14 game. And some yeah. examples on look ahead lines, we could, if these look ahead lines hold, we could look at the Jags paired with Baltimore minus one and a half hosting the Rams. That seems awfully enticing. Tampa Bay plus eight at Atlanta, Philadelphia plus eight and a half at Dallas. I think I like all of those options better than the Jets hosting the Falcons this weekend. Of course, this is all pending week 13 results and week 14 lines when they're really widely available. So for the audience of this show, I'll go ahead and post a preferred play on Sunday evening on YouTube and Twitter in the comments when those week 14 lines are open. But I think the key takeaway here, each week doesn't have to be its own arbitrary endpoint. I think you could possibly get more value with the Jags to wrap up week 13 by pairing them with a team on the week 14 slate. Yeah. No, I, I like that as well. I, I did not think of that, but uh, I, I think that's a smart move. All right. Yeah. A hat tip to my friend, Las Vegas, Chris. He often talks about multi-purpose teasers and parlays and staggering start times. It could really be advantageous that the Jags, mm -hmm. as the most appealing teaser leg of the week right now, have a Monday night game. So we could pair them with teams on Sunday, or we could just let Sunday play itself out and see what opportunities are available when the week 14 lines are available about 24 hours prior to the Jags kicking off on Monday night. So some good food for thought on teasers. Arjun, let's move into props as well. As things stand right now across the prop betting landscape for week 13 in the NFL, is there anything that stands out in your eyes? Yeah, uh, I know we just talked about how bad the Jets offense is and uh, you might think I'm a sicko for this, but we're going to go with the Jets offense over. We're going to do Tyler Conklin receiving yards over. Um, I think the best line, uh, FanDuel has it 21 and a half, uh, minus 114. Um, I would play this up probably to 26 and a half. But really the reasoning behind this, and I, I've kind of used this reasoning a lot, but like backup quarterbacks or rookie quarterbacks, I, I think just in general, like throwing to tight ends. Um, like last week, Conklin had, I think, a 30... Let me just double check. Thirty-six yards receiving. He had five. He had five targets, which was third on the team. But like you know, really in terms of pass catchers, he was second in targets. He had thirty-three yards last week. Five targets, four catches. A lot of underneath stuff, um, which is fine. I think that's like that's his role anyway. The Falcons also, in general, they've allowed the third most receiving yards to tight ends this year. Uh, just in recent weeks, we've seen, I think, good tight ends kind of carve them up. Uh, like Juwan Johnson had over 40 yards. Trey McBride had like 120 when, when they played. So I I think uh, Conklin, just because of the backup situation, because I think the offensive line isn't great, it's going to be a lot of getting the ball out quick and just a lot of checkdowns from Boyle, a lot of mistake-free football. And so kind of that target share to, to Conklin should be around the 5-6 target range. And I think that meshes well with a pretty low total on it's like 21 and a half isn't too much. So um, yeah, we're rolling with Tyler Conklin over, you know, betting a Jets over should should go well, but <laughs> hopefully it, it cashes for us. Yeah, and I'm uh, taking a look on my end right now. Yeah, Tyler Conklin receiving yards. There's quite a bit of variance. So uh, yeah, some people might be seeing 24 and a half, even one of the sharper books known to take a bet on props right now is lined at 24 and a half shaded to the over. So uh, there are some, there is, there is one, as you mentioned at FanDuel, that 21 and a half. Um, one bet, one book has 20 and a half shaded pretty heavily to the over. Um, I think that range you gave of some wiggle room, if we call 24 and a half a consensus, still a couple yards to play with there. Mm -hmm. So Arjun looking at Tyler Conklin over for his receiving yardage output. I'm going to look for an under. I'll just go ahead and be the wet blanket and root against human <laughs> achievement for my prop portfolio this week. And I'm going to look toward the under for Jordan Love passing yards. I'm seeing that consensus line right now at 230 and a half. 
I think the theme of the week for me with all these bets I've broken down, not a major edge, but enough to get in play with a smaller bet. So please manage your bankroll accordingly if you choose to follow. But the narrative around love and the Packers offense right now is a strong upward trajectory. And I think it has a lot of merit, but in some ways, I also feel like it's gone a bit too far. If we look at what the Packers have done the last two weeks, and namely what Love has done with that Packers offense the last two weeks, going back to their matchup, hosting the Chargers, Love passed for 322 yards. And I think that was pretty misleading. If we look at the Packers' final drive when they weren't just looking to work the clock, there was a strip sack that the Packers recovered. And then there was a third and 20 where Asante Samuel committed pass interference on an otherwise non-competitive passing play, but it gave the Packers a first down. Then there was a dump off pass. Michael Davis has an atrocious missed tackle that probably played a pretty substantial role in his getting benched not too long after that. Mm -hmm. And then Brandon Saley's defense had a miscommunication. They couldn't get lined up correctly for what ended up being the Packers game winning touchdown pass. All in all, after that, fumble that the Packers recovered on the strip sack, and then the third and 20 PI on Samuel. Jordan Love racked up 59 passing yards. He otherwise wouldn't have gotten then. So I think a bit of a, a misleading context if you just take the 322 passing yards at face value against the Chargers. And then last week at Detroit on Thanksgiving, the Packers were really impressive. Love passed for 268 yards. But I think a key here, Detroit's defense, a far cry from the improved unit that they appeared to be week one at Kansas City. And speaking of the Chiefs, that will be Jordan Love's opponent this week. I think they represent a significant step up in class, a strong pass rush, a strong secondary. I think that could cause Love to be under pressure more than we've seen him in recent weeks. And not only Love under pressure, but pass catchers struggling to get open. All in all, that lands me on Love pass yards under 230 and a half. Arjun, any thoughts on that look? I know a lot of people feeling good about the trajectory of the Packers offense, so maybe this one's going to ruffle some feathers. No, I don't mind it at all. I mean, anytime you like. You know, yeah, like you said, the 320 yards against the Chargers, take that as face, like you can't just take that at face value. It is the Los Angeles Chargers defense. Uh, it's not a very impressive defense. So you have to like, you know, regress it or like adjust, mentally adjust it in your mind. I mean, the Chiefs have a really good defense. I mean, this is like probably a top five defense in my eyes. I think Trent McDuffie, LeJerry Sneed, both, um, you know, a top three, top two cornerback duo in the NFL. Like this is a very good defense. They're pretty healthy, I would say, outside of linebacker. Um, and I think this is... This is a, a unit that I think could cause some trouble for love. Like I think the Lions and, and Chargers like both don't really blitz all that much. And a lot of the and like the Lions like to play man. The Chargers like to uh play zone a lot more, but they also like don't really blitz all that much. Spags is gonna send the house. And I don't know from a processing perspective if love is there yet against you know this the unique uh blitz packages and, and disguised looks that Spags has. I don't know if he's you know played enough uh snaps in the NFL yet to kind of re uh just like process those disguised looks pre-snap and post-snap. So yeah, I would, I do like fading him at that number. He's, you know, I think it's the number against the chargers is like two twenty six. That's what I got it at. And they obviously soared over. So, you know, I don't think they really adjusted all that much, but I do, I would take the under rather than the over even at like a two thirty price. So I, I do like that bet. Yeah, I hear you. It doesn't seem like much of an adjustment, but four yards up against a defense that I would consider a good bit better than the Chargers. I think a similar number based on the opposition does tell us something about possible value on the under. And Arjun, I'll hop back to your pick for a moment because we had Dan Rivera join us in the chat on YouTube, and I'll show his comment here on the screen, asking if you like yards or receptions more. And looking at Tyler Conklin, you spoke to the yardage very well. I see his reception total pretty much painted two and a half, but heavily juiced to the over. It looks like the best you can get is minus 166 at a mainstream recreational regulated book. 
and um, a, lot, a lot of shops in the range of minus 170, even up to the mid minus 180s. So that's quite juicy. But the security blanket of three receptions cashing the ticket, regardless of yardage output, might bring a lot to the table. So mm -hmm. if you look at Conklin receptions, two and a half heavily juiced to the over versus the yardage output, any thought, even Dan has followed up, gross at that price. I know that's a lot of VIG. Sometimes I will say, sometimes the best bets I've made are the ones where I've laid the most juice because it's often not necessarily enough when we're looking at extreme price yeah. points. But Arjun, any thoughts on Conklin yardage as opposed to receptions? Yeah, I I wouldn't mind receptions. Like I, Again, I'm a, a huge fan of laying that kind of juice. I still think the yards would probably be, probably be the better play. Um, just because I do think you'll have a lot of targets to go over that number. And if you're not comfortable laying the juice i would just take the yards and at a much lower or much much lower odds so yeah i would I'd probably lean with the yards but i do think like with his target share and how his targets are going to come about which is just dump offs and potentially like tight end screens i do think he'll get at least three receptions to cash like i i don't think there's a scenario where he'll go under receptions and over yards but i do think there is a scenario where he goes over receptions and under yards which would suck but mm -hmm. yeah i would still lean i would still lean receiving yards all right. Thanks, Dan, for the question. Love getting to dig in a little bit further there. At this point in the show, I'll take a quick moment to remind everybody that I am partnering with the team over at Right Angle Sports in an affiliate capacity this season. And the team over at Right Angle Sports is offering something for everyone from NFL to college basketball, where they've got an unparalleled track record of success. So no obligation, but if you're interested in trying it out, you can support Props and Hops by supporting Right Angle Sports. I've built a custom link you can use to do so tinyurl.com slash RAS picks. All right, moving right along with the show, a rapid fire rundown of the picks Argent and I have shared thus far. We can dub it the Props and Hops NFL Week 13 portfolio. And I guess not just the NFL portfolio for this week, some college football sneaking in as well. Sides, Argent staying in the professional ranks, going with the Lions minus four at the Saints. I am looking at the Pac-12 title game and the Oregon Ducks minus 10 versus Washington. Also looking at a split ticket, taking half of that Oregon exposure and putting it on Bo Nix to win the Heisman at minus 150. As far as teasers go, only one option that really fits the mold. So Arjun and I both looking at the Jets plus eight hosting the Falcons paired with the Jags minus two and a half hosting Cincinnati. But I think you can do better by waiting a little bit if you don't have the stomach for the variance of Tim Boyle under center for the Jets. The Jags don't play till Monday night. So maybe see how the week 14 board opens up on Sunday evening. Give it 24 hours and pick a week 14 game to pair with the Jags when they wrap up the NFL week 13 slate on Monday night hosting Cincinnati. And as far as props go, Arjun looking at Tyler Conklin over, let's call it 24 and a half as a consensus number. Conklin over 24 and a half receiving yards. Shop around, you can catch a 21 and a half and consider it good based on Arjun's advice up to 26 and a half. And I'm gonna go with Jordan Love under 230 and a half passing yards.